0: 2 Kings chapter 4, Major Malfunctions. That's the title, and there are five of them in this chapter. <clears throat> Malfunctions happen in life because of sin. And these stories bring it out. Now, the first one concerning this widow, a distinction needs to be made because he's going to interact, Elisha the prophet, is going to interact with the two principal female figures. And it is this first one that is a widow, and the second one is not. And um, I hope that will clarify, clear it up for if you've missed that. In verse 1, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband is dead, and you know that your servant feared Yahweh, And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. Well, these sons of the prophets, who we read about mostly in Kings, uh, they don't show up in Judah. They show up in the northern kingdom, perhaps a remnant of the faithful, because many of the priests and Levites relocated to Judah when Jeroboam set up the false centers of worship. The fact that she is a widow and has two sons indicates that these prophets were not uh, living the celibate monastery life. They were citizens like everybody else. This first one is a heartbreaking, urgent need. If you knew this lady, if you were there in the village where she lived, And you heard about this, you would put yourself in her place and you'd be horrified. The loss of her husband compounded by this risk of losing her sons because debts can't be paid. And the law, the Hebrew law, regulated civil debts and how they were handled. The creditors could not take care of the debtor, uh, take advantage of the debtor, and vice versa. There were good laws. But there were laws nonetheless. They would take them as slaves, but they couldn't treat them like slaves. They'd treat them like servants. And if the year of Jubilee came along, they would be able to dismiss them. But the Jubilee ran 50 years. So depending on where you were. A wise businessman wouldn't make <laughs> enter into certain uh, arrangements knowing that the Jubilee was coming. I'm sure that was going on. Anyway... Uh, Exodus and Leviticus, Deuteronomy, very clear about how this was to be handled. Either way, uh, she's in in trouble, big trouble. Verse 2, so Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Well, that's all he needs to work with. We'll find that out. But at first, he doesn't know what to do with this. I mean, she's coming to him. She's the, he's the man of God. And uh, she's looking for help. He does not offer her money. I find that uh, very very interesting. And also interesting that initially he's at a loss. What do you want me to do? And, but then he, his formula, as he's thinking this through, as he's in, uh, dial, in dialogue with her, which if he did, was not in dialogue with her, wouldn't, the, the solution would not surface, come to the surface. And so he's going to use the little that she has. What do you have? Of course, she tells him, that jar of oil. So emerging from his inquiry is the solution. In verse 3, then he said, Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. So he says, go to your neighbors, get as many jars and jugs as you can get. Elisha is getting the neighbors involved in helping this woman out. They, knowing her situation, would have been more than happy to help anything they could do. They could not go around the law. They had either pay the debt or pay the consequences. And this would have been a very exciting thing, but nobody knows what's happening except the prophet. Or he'd get a lot of jars. What's, are you going to sell jars? What's, what's going on with this? And verse 4, I was tempted to say something corny, like jaw the memory, but I didn't think you'd care for it. Verse 4 And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour into all the vessels and set aside the full ones. Thrice emphasized in this chapter is shut the door, (laughs) it's private. It's no one's business what she's doing. It's a need-to-know basis. Ministry is not a spectator sport. Imagine someone wanting in on the operation after they found out. (laughs) It's going to get into the logic and make oil. Remember they did that to the Lord? They found out he could make bread, and they were going to make him the the king. Well, if they can force him to be king, he's not king. They're the king. Well, anyhow, uh, I I like that part. You know, loose lips sink ships. Uh, Then pour it into all the vessels, and set aside the full one. So as you fill one up, put it on the side, do another one. She had her part to play. She had a role. There was something for her to do in this. Peter found himself in a similar situation when they challenged the Lord on taxes, Matthew chapter 17. Jesus speaking, nevertheless, lest we offend them. I'd love to have heard the tone. Because it, it was a zinger towards those that were hip, hypocrites all around. And nevertheless, lest we offend them, this is what Peter had to do. Go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. And take that and give it to them for me and for you. Couldn't you just, like, put it under a rock or something? <laughs> i got to do all of this, right? We have our, our role. We have an interesting... that This is right down Peter's alley. He was a fisherman. Um, he didn't ask him to do... I find it interesting. He didn't ask him to do something that was foreign to him. We're going to come across one of these groups, someone that is, uh, doesn't know what they're doing. And not just one person. It's a bunch of them. And they almost kill people because of it. They meant well. But people almost died. It was a major malfunction. Well, the malfunction in this one is her husband died. And she can't pay the debt. Verse 5 So she went from him and shut the door, her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Her sons, co laborers, through the miracle. They're going to be first hand witnesses to this. They're old enough to go uh, follow instructions and to talk because they're going to speak. Again, none of them know where this is going, but they obey. They obey the prophet. She came and asked for an ex- uh, 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 help, and he said, okay, do this. And she, instead of giving him a hard time, she goes off and running with her orders. No, knowing mom, she probably turned it into a craft. Hey, boys, we have the project today. Let's see who can fill the most jars without spilling anything. I wonder how that went. Verse 6, Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. And so there he is in dialogue. He's old enough to engage like that. It is an interesting spiritual application to this sixth verse. The limitation was not in the supply of oil. The limitation was in the availability of empty vessels. So if there's a work that God wants to do and he can't find a vessel, an honorable vessel to fill with his spirit to do the work, is very disappointing. I don't want to be that person that is not available. And again, a, a basic principle of ministry, of serving in the church, is not so much your ability, but your availability. What good is it if you could be the best at this or that, but you're never available to do it? Well, it calls for sacrifice. I know, I know a lot of folks will want to hear that, but these are the facts. The antidote for not being motivated to do something is prayer, is, is to talk to God. It is also an antidote to gossip. If you have a problem talking about people, talk to them. Talk about them to God. And watch what happens. If, if anything like my experiences, well, i don't really got no other things to do. Before I can get to criticizing somebody else, I start with me, and by the time I'm done, I'm so depressed, I, just, I don't want to talk about anybody. But in the earlier days, I would I tried that out, and it worked very well, you have a less chance of being the troublemaker in the picture if you are the prayer maker. Verse 7, Then she came and told the man of God, and and said, "Go." Let me reread that. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. Well, things didn't go as planned. Her husband died, left her with debt. That was a malfunction. Now it is it has been resolved. He is referred to as the man of God. He's the only one referred to as the man of God. Well, the holy man of God, but here just the man of God. Twenty nine times he is called this in Second Kings. Eleven of them in this chapter alone. It's, imp- it's, on, it's important and it's on purpose. It should cause us to think about these things. That's why they're there. One uh, one other reason why these things are there is for our faith. You can build up on all the Bible knowledge you have. You still got to go out and do things for the Lord by faith. We're going to catch Elijah stuck in that situation. Where there is a malfunction and he still has to function nonetheless. Such is life. She reports to to the prophet and he gives her the profit. Pun. You mean I can keep it? Because he says, take the oil. You know, uh, take the jugs, sell it. And whatever profit you're left with, that abundance is yours. Debt paid with surplus. That which I receive becomes mine to steward. In verse 8, Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. (laughs) It's so simple, the language, right? It's so simple here. But just down-to-earth human talk. Shunem is about 20 miles from Mount Carmel, where we know I, the prophet is going. Where he's coming from is not stated. Likely, his hometown, which is 20 miles to the west. So moving uh, to the east, it is. So moving from east to west to Mount Carmel, it's this uh, trek that puts her right in the middle. It's forty mile distance if he's coming from his house, or if he's coming from Samaria. Same same distance thereabout. The average traveler could walk fifteen to twenty miles a day. We're cal- we've calculated. Uh, if if you're not pressed, if you're in a force march, is a whole another story. You got that whole caterpillars. Elastic thing to battle, but if you're just going by yourself, you move at your pace and and not too hard. And also, you know, it could be on a donkey or a mule, some other animal, maybe a cat. (laughs) Well, have you tried it? All right, that's silly. But coming back to this, Shunem's the halfway point to Mount Carmel. And in this town, this part of Israel, Abishag, the attendant to King David when he couldn't keep body heat and she was, you know, assigned that position. She was from Shunem also, likely the same character in mind when Solomon wrote the Song of Solomon. He probably uh, either built it off of her character or out of uh, of the real events. Um, Anyway, Shunem is not an unknown city in the scripture. This notable woman here means she was wealthy and well known, an honorable woman. A great woman is closer to the Hebrew, and this is intimated by the fact that her husband has these servants, and they're out working the harvest. Uh, they build a room for the prophet. They furnish the room for the prophet, and so they have some means. They're, they're they're important people in Shunem, and and this is just great because again, you know, poorer people have a tendency of trying to. Bad mouth richer people, and uh, and that's not that's not fair. If that's all you got, I mean I mean people are good and evil not based on their income. Though money is a root of evil, it is not the root. You know, plenty of poor people are evil without any money. In fact, trying to get the money is often part of the problem. So I, I like this balance that we have from the scripture. Um, she It says here that she persuaded him to eat some food. So she wanted to serve. Uh, she she's, has these Elisha sightings. He's walking by her house. And so one day she's like, you know what? And next time he comes by, I'm going to offer him something to eat. She probably knows he's going to Mount Carmel. He's a well-known prophet. And <clears throat> he's not, uh, you know, like Elijah. He just never knew <laughs> where he was, when he would show up. But Elisha is, is not that way. He's, a, he's more around the people. And he's not as private as Elijah. Um, so she wants to serve the Lord by serving his servant. And so it was at the bottom of verse 8. As often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. Well, I think he looked forward to this rest stop. And I think it's something very uh, noble about her and that he's comfortable enough to accept the invitation, because a lot of times, you know, you just ah, uh, it's not going to work, uh, just you know, for whatever reasons. But he's very comfortable with her, and it's a again a very real and human part of the story. I like it a lot. Verse nine, and she said to her husband, "Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly." Okay, we just pause there, mid. Midway through, what a distinction. Uh, a holy man of God. She is, uh, it's again, only used here that uh, that he was holy. The adjective uh, put there. The t- a title that is bestowed on someone and not uh, self-designation. He couldn't, you know, to walk up and say, well, I'm Elijah, the, the holy man of God. That would have been like, well, well you... you you probably do penance, don't you? <laughs> Something like that. Uh, but that's it's not at all the case. He's just being Elijah, and people are recognizing him for it, it, the proof of the prophet is the prophet's life. Second Peter chapter one: Prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, and that fits Elijah perfectly. And not only him; it's just he's the one that is recorded. It is recorded as uh, being called the holy man of God. Verse 10, please let us make a small room, she's speaking to her husband, a small upper room on the wall, and let us put a bed for him there, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand, so it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. I mean, she's just looking. What can I do? You know, I've got the resources. What can I do for this man of God? And he's not going to abuse this at all. In fact, he's going to look to bless her because of this. This, These accommodations are similar to Elijah's in Zarephath with the, uh, remember the widow there, she was making her last meal, and he showed up and had an upper room for himself also. Verse 11, and it happened one day that the, that he came there and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. Verse 12. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite woman. And when he had called her, she stood before him. All right, well, this has to be understood in the context of the whole, the, the entire di- dialogue, the latter verses between Elisha, Gehazi, and, and the woman. And... Um, she comes to the doorway, and we pick that up in, I think, verse 15, and not into the room. We'll comment on that and, and when we get there. Uh, it, well, in great referen- uh, reverence deference to the prophet, waiting to hear uh, why she has been summoned to the room. Gehazi, he is a very useful servant in this matter, and he shows up, and he's doing a lot of things here. Uh, looking at my notes from years ago, I despised him. <laughs> I did not really despise. just, you know, really like, what like this and what... And, and, and I don't feel that way anymore. Maybe I've got enough hits in my own life to say, you know, he's... You know, get a guy a break. Life's full of malfunctions. Anyway, I'm not saying he's all that good boy, but he, he's not a bad boy either. And we'll, hopefully I can bring some of that out this evening. It will come up again in chapter 8. Anyway... Still, in spite of his usefulness, he's given this privilege of serving one of Israel's greatest prophets, and he's going to mess it up. And we'll, we'll, again, we'll come back to some of this. We have to work through as we go along. Verse 13. And he said to him, Say now to her, Look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. So the prophet wants to help. It's confusing how this is worded. Because in verse 13, uh, Gehazi's, in the, our, th- this seems to be Gehazi's instructions from him to her. Because the, the, the pronouns move around. It's like, wait a minute, I thought, who's talking here? Uh, it doesn't take away any of the truths. It's just a little difficult for us to figure out, but I don't think impossible. So, um, the prophet wants to bless her in return. What can I do for you? So, initially, Gehazi, the best I can work it out, he initially enters into dialogue with her based on Elijah uh, telling him what to say. Then she departs in verse 14 and is recalled in verse 15. Um, also, I should mention, this room that the prophet has is large enough for Gehazi too. He's sharing in the meals also. Uh, and that is brought out, look, you have been concerned for us, it says here in verse 13, with all this care. And so there's not a little cubbyhole that uh, the prophet is in, He's in the desk, a lamp, and I'm sure they've looked out for his servant also. Um, where he says he makes the offer to speak to the king on her, her behalf, it shows that he has this influence, uh, the prophet does, with Jehoram. That was the king, one of the three stooges, that went out to the desert with their armies and, and no water. And Elijah of, uh, Elisha is the one that asked for the musician to come and, and, and told them to dig trenches in the pools. The water filled, made pools for water for the animals and the men. So Jehoram, that king in this area, this territory, he likes, he, he's, you know, he has this respect for Elisha. And that will come out in later, cha- cha- later chapters as we go through this. Elijah, he's not going to ask anything from the king for himself, but he will ask on her behalf. She is a subject of the king. It is very appropriate. When she says, I dwell among my own people, she's saying, I want nothing to do with Jehoram. Uh, I'm fine without him here amongst him in this little village. Likely, she held Jehoram in contempt because of his idolatry, because we know she is attracted to Yahweh, and that's why she's looking to bless this prophet. He's just, you know, she's enamored with the the holiness that he brings into the northern kingdom and into her world. This will change. By the time chapter 8 comes, she will be stripped of her property. And guess who is going to be the one to get it back for her, Gehazi, after he's smitten with leprosy. That's why you got to kind of pack off some of this stuff and not have these hard opinions. I mean, unlike Judas Iscariot, you know he's a bad guy. The Bible calls him the son of hell. So there's no, the jury is not out on him. There are no redeeming features about him. You can say, well, he was a good thief uh, about that. but um, th- 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 So there are some characters in Scripture that there's no guessing. their their sins. Um, Amnon, one of the most despicable people in the Bible, for example. Saul. What good thing was there about Saul? Um, Anyway, Gehazi's got some good qualities. Verse 14. So he said, what then is to be done for her? So you see, it switches again. He's, He's, you know, he's talking to Say now to her up in verse 13, she answers back. And then Elijah now in verse 14 says, what it, uh, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually ha- she has no son and her husband is old. You know, 20 years ago, a verse like that would not have meant much to me. He's old. I mean, after a while, you start getting sensitive. I got feelings too. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, coming back. This, I know, it's been a hard day's work for you. I'm me on the other end, just been sitting here reading the Bible all day. <laughs> anyway, uh, so anyway, look, just look, down, glance down at verse 15. So he said, call her. So, see, she leaves, she's back again. And that's why it kind of gets a little confusing, but I don't think it's too difficult to figure out that the gaps are easy to fill in. So back to verse 14. Uh, so he said, that's Elijah, what then is to be done for her since she doesn't want me to do anything with the king? She said, she's fine. Then Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. Now, Gehazi is going to be a, prove to be a guy who he knows what's going on. He's an excellent assistant. He He has the details. The prophet has the essentials he has the things that make the essentials work better. And he's going to do this with the king. Evidently, he works after he gets smitten with the leprosy, he ends up working with the king. Uh, A man of means. And not a pattern to follow, but still admirable. Uh, So he's up to date on on the life of this woman. He's Elisha's assistant, and an excellent assistant, I think, at this point. It will hurt to see him fall. I'm sure it hurt the prophet also. But what he did was—it was, was just—it was a deal break. We we would say, it happens in pastoral ministry. Um, you know, it's, you you give someone an opportunity to serve when you know other the other people won't be so quick to give them an opportunity, and many times it works out wonderfully. But sometimes you get someone that um, I think that they really don't appreciate uh, the significance of of what. Assignment God has entrusted them with, though he's used the pastor to to set it up, it is still, it's God, it's the Holy Spirit doing it. <clears throat> some some recover, some don't. Gehazi, um, he could have been the next Elisha. I mean, he's doing for Elisha what Elisha did for Elijah. But greed and covetousness... Uh, they 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 work their way in, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. so here he says she has no son, why not? She has no child why why a son? Well, in those days, sons and guns that's what they wanted because the boys were workers, they grew up to be young men and 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 they worked in in, in an agrarian society. Males meant uh work on the farm at a faster rate, and uh that's what was uh the, the first uh, desire, the first choice. In verse 15, so he said, Elijah speaking, call her. And when he called her, she stood in the doorway. So this goes back to the earlier where she, she appeared. In, she could have just appeared before Gehazi initially. This gets a little confusing. But here she comes to the room. It's a room too reverent for her to enter. This is her home. It has a private entrance, uh, it's, but it's, it's the prophet's room. And she does not feel that she has the right um, to, to just go into his room. Verse 16. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. Now the prophet's talking directly to her. That's clear. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your servants. She said, oh, don't play with me. This is, just, this is what she wanted so much in life. And she just does not want to be toyed with. Um, the, he uses an idiom about this time next year. It's, it's literally as the time of life. In and the, and the natural processes, uh, the usual time, you will be giving, giving birth. Verse 17, but the woman conceived... And bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. So the prophecy is fulfilled. But there are war drums in the distance. Troubles on the horizon. This is going to malfunction. And it is going to be a a very tough experience for everyone. Verse 18, And the child grew. Now it happened one day, that he went out to his father to the reapers. And I'm going to stop halfway because there's just a lot of stuff happening here. Here's a touching picture of home life 700 years before Christ. The boy is very comfortable. He's, he's a small boy, evidently. Uh, small enough to be carried still. Um, and he's very... The, the story makes it seem he's very comfortable with his dad out in the fields with the workers. Um his life was being an interesting story. By the time he's a grown man, he said, let me tell you what happened to me one day. Uh, it's just like the other two boys that were filling the oil. Man, we were sitting there. Just, it was just so much fun with mom. And uh, anyhow, the field that the father is working in, clearly large enough to require reapers, as was Boaz. And so that uh, indicates his wealth, verse 19. And he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to a servant, carry him to his mother. So the boy, perhaps heat stroke, we're not told. Um, Evidently, never far from his parents. He says, Dad, I'm not feeling well. And he, he said, take him to his mom. Verse 20, when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon, then died. I tell you, whenever I come across these kind of stories, even in scripture, I don't like them, but they're this life. This is the mouth malf- the malfunction of life is death is suffering. Uh, Job said, "You know that which I feared has happened to me," uh, and and so you, just, you can't pretend it's not there. You have to face it. Uh, but this life is is not what it was intended to be by God. But there was no other way, because yeah, if there was, I'm I'm sure God would have used it. There was no other way to bring about a people who would trust and love him by faith. See, the angels can see God. We can by faith. Uh, they can by sight. And you know, the just shall live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. This is a big deal with God. And the prophet is about to go through it. And, and I just we need to get there because I think they're just real lessons for us all. Uh, we have no chance in this life of defaulting to factory settings uh, like Adam. Sin has ruined that. Next step for us is to be glorified into, into the image of the Son of God and the likeness of Christ because of this great defect that we are stuck with. From God's position, God God says it's going to be worth it. To say, he instilled that in his followers, his martyrs. It's going to be worth it. Stephen, it was worth it. Uh, forgive them. They know not what they do. Uh, God, how could you let me down? He never said that. He never said, God, how could you let me down? He just took the stoning and preached while he was dying. Sin is the sole cause of malfunctions in life. It's the, because the, the sole cause of a malfunction in others and ourselves and these malfunctions affect every area of physical creation humans have to deal with these malfunctions animals insects trees the weather everything is subject to not function as designed because of sin and that's this whole this whole chapter is about everything going wrong the first woman loses her husband with two small children and debt. The second woman, yes, she loves this prophet because she loves God. And he gives her this child, and the child dies. Are you kidding me? That's that's what's happening. So now the situation is desperate. And it will be desperate for this great holy man of God. He is not going to dodge this. He's got to go through it verse 21, And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, and shut the door upon him, and went out. And there is another time. The door is shut. If the father learned this, they they didn't embalm. They might have taken steps to just bury the child. So she's being very discreet about this, very careful. Elijah is her 911. She is her... Her emergency phone call. Verse 22. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. Again, the man of God was who to contact in case of emergency. How she concealed her terror and not become unraveled as an indication that she trusted God, that this wasn't over. She was in a state of divine focus on God. That's what I believe. Some of you have been here, there. She knew she had to get to Elisha. And she just knew it. Verse 23. So he said, why are you, The husband speaking to her. Why are you going to him today? <laughs> this is a work day. I'm going to need, you know, the food and stuff when I get home. Uh, you know, what are you doing? And he says, why are you going to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, Shalom. That's what the uh, Hebrew word is there. It's translated, it's, it's well. <clears throat> He's, uh, of course, the oddity of it all has alarmed him. Well, why? It's not Sunday. Why is she going to church? Uh, this is, um, an interesting, uh, when Amos comes along, he's going to point out that the Jewish people were complaining about the burden of missing a sale on the Sabbath and the new moon. The new moon was the beginning of the month. And he's going to point out, you people are just now so greedy for money. You don't care anything about righteousness. The dollar is more important than the devotion." Uh, you get that in Amos eight, chapter five, uh, chapter eight, verse five. So the two suitable days for assembling, of course, was the Sabbath, the Saturday, the weekly Sabbath, and the monthly new moon. Uh, we'll pick that up in Ezekiel. They come to him on the the Sabbaths and new moons, and he they sit before Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, none of his sermons were seeker friendly, and what we would call seeker friendly, all all sermons that speak the truth are seeker-friendly. Sermons that withhold the truth are not. And Satan twisted that around pretty good a few years back. The whole emergent church and all that other junk. This, um, uh, you know, in the scripture, the names are not changed to convict the guilty. It's uh, unlike Dragnet, you know, those of you who don't know what Dragnet is, you might not be able to sit through an episode. (laughs) It's like, you won't be able to take it. Uh, anyway, coming back to this, um, and she said, you know, she's going to use this shalom in response five times in this chapter. In other words, I'm fine. Yeah, fi- I need to get you're in the way kind of a thing. She's trying to get to the next step. And she's got to go through these social, you know, uh, checkpoints. It's idiomatic. That's, uh, you know, no time to dialogue. It's fine. It's fine. Shalom, shalom. It's okay. And she lost her son. She didn't lose her faith. And like Abraham, she knew this son of promise was going to live. Uh, it's not always this way. It is in this story. Uh, but there's no time to waste. She's not trying to deceive her husband. She's trying to get something done. And so would shield him at the same time because of the hope. Verse 24, then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. He's, so she says, Step on it. <laughs> and and don't slow down unless I tell you. <laughs> so she's a smart woman because a donkey ride could be pretty rough at a fast pace. Goes, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Bumpy, <bumpety. laughs> So anyway, she's got about 15, 20 miles. It's not likely the prophet's on the mountain. is in the Carmel region. Uh, that's, I mean, because it's just not practical. To, and I mean, he probably goes up every now and then, but he's in that region. So the ETA, an hour, hour and a half, uh, round trip, two, three hours. Verse 25, so she departed and went to the man of God on at Mount Carmel. So it was, when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, Shalom. It's fine. It's fine. She, this is how she answered Gehazi. So the prophet, as he sees her. It is not church day. He knows there's a problem. And he's getting scared. He knows what the husband and child mean to this woman. And that's why. Uh, is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And he knew this ain't good. The animal, incidentally, had to be exhausted. I'm, I, you assume there was a swap out to get back home, maybe not not said. Uh, she, again, the pressure is, is heavy on the prophet, and it's going to only intensify. Uh, you, you know, he had been through this, uh, not directly, but he knows the story of Elijah with the widow. He knows this life malfunctions. He knows what can happen. And now it's happening. And let's develop it. it was developed in verse 27. And when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress. And Yahweh has hidden it from me and has not told me. I'm trying to not get ahead of the comments. Is so rich with real life. She managed to hold it together. To take the child up to his room, close the door. She managed to tell her husband, she's got to get to the prophet. I need a servant. She managed to to go through this long trip. But she gets to the prophet and she falls apart at the point of contact. She collapses and lets it all out as she reaches Elisha. She's been holding it in. But Gehazi came near to push her away. Well, that was his job. I mean, Jesus had the disciples for crowd control. That's why when Jesus said, "Who touched me?" Peter said, "Are you kidding me? You can't. You had these, these people pushing on you and shoving us and pushing us around, and you know, who touched me?" <laughs> so, this was the job. it is one of his roles. Uh, he. I don't think he was being malicious. Both men don't know what is going on. But Elijah knows it's big and it's bad. But the man of God said, let her alone for her soul is in deep distress. His adrenaline now is pumping. It's got to be. He's, because listen to what he says. The Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. God tells me any, everything. He tells me there's a famine coming. He tells me this. He tells me to put oil in the jars. Why is he telling me anything about this? Why is there this blackout? Amos chapter 3, verse 7. Surely the Lord Yahweh does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. Yeah, sometimes it's a time release. It's not all at once. It just kind of seeps out. <laughs> and in time you finally get it. <laughs> well, God told things directly to Elijah. That's the gift of knowledge. To tell, to, to gain information that you could only get through divine revelation, the gift of knowledge. Uh, if a person gets up in the pulpit and they know the Bible, that's not the gift of knowledge. That's hard work. That's the, the the gift of hard work. The fruit of their labor. Knowledge, the gift of knowledge, means you know something spiritual. You know, you see someone, you say, this person is lying to me. Uh, as, just as, from pastor's perspective. Because God is telling me they're lying to me. Not because I don't like them or I just think it's that way. But I... I don't have it happen every single time, but it has happened clearly. The Lord has shown me. And he is not showing his man at this point. Uh, The Christians should want every gift they could get hold of that God will give to them. Why? Why why the gifts? Because we need them. It's hard enough to get along with each other without them. It's very nice to to have uh, the, the gifts. Anyway, God wanted him to hear it directly from the woman. I believe one reason why the Lord is not telling him is because the Lord is bracing him for the fight, the faith fight that's coming. It's like, Elijah, it's all not just about, you know, increasing the oil. It's all not about just, okay, you'll have a child. There are some knockdown, dirty fights in this life, and you've got to face it like the rest of us. Verse 28, so she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? She's, I think she's still being very respectful, but she is still just, you know, sort of tears and all flying, I'm, I, would, I would imagine. Did I not say, do not deceive me? So she's holding to that. <laughs> She'd been thinking about this the whole trip. She knew it instantly, of course. I did not ask for trouble, but trouble asked for me. I am dead to the flesh, but the flesh is not dead to me. This is reality. And to look at it any other way, I think, is to ruin your theology. To start, you know, creating little pockets of make-believe because you want to feel good about your faith. I prefer I prefer trying to deal with it head-on. Not being a stoic, but just in... We're supposed to... Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, not the lie. Of course... She wanted a son, but not so she could lose him. In verse 49, and this is, this is registering with the prophet. He's not taking this lightly. He's not, oh, come on, you know, trust the Lord. Where's your faith? Something sick like that. And there have been so-called clergy who've had that kind of answer to people. Anyway, verse 49, because so I feel the flesh coming up. <laughs> Who am I to get in the flesh? Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand. Be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. Gird up your loins. His loose robe, his garment, he's saying, you know, this is code three. (laughs) His siren, no stoplights, no no dealing, no, no hi, how you doing kind of thing on the way. Everybody will know that there is serious business taking taking place. Take my staff in your hand and be on your way. Now Elijah, I believe, is advanced in years, and so he's sending the younger man first. Again, Gehazi is in the action. He's young enough to, to, to take the to lead to get there. There's a sense of desperation in the prophet, I believe. At this point, Gehazi is a trustworthy servant. Not that I wanted to leave my watch out on the bed, but <laughs> if I knew what I know now. Anyway, uh, I think there is desperation in the voice of the prophet. He's human, uh, as was his beloved teacher, Elijah. And remember when we covered that in chapter 17 of First Kings, and the child died, this is what Elijah said to God. Then he cried out to Yahweh and said, Oh, Yahweh, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? Man, it's pretty intense to be such a faithful servant of God, to be used like Elijah and cry out like that means there's heavy pressure on him. Life counts. It matters. Suffering means something. And you just can't hide. The prophet hoped that his blessing would transfer into his staff if Gehazi got there and put the staff on the child. After all, it worked with Elijah with the mantle, he got the mantle, he touched the Jordan, it rolled back. Well, the staff should do the same thing. It's going to fail. And it's just, again, his desperation. Imagine how he felt when Gehazi came back. It didn't work. He was mistaken. It is not transferable. Elisha warned him. He said, What do you want? What can I bless you with, Elijah, before I go to heaven? Well, that I could have a, a double inheritance of your power. And the, Elijah said to him, Man, that's a tough one. Okay, if you see me taken up, you got it. But that's a hard thing to ask. And here we see that it is a hard thing to do uh, under the terms as they are by, with God. There are laws we just don't know about. It did not transfer to the rod, even though Gehazi got there in desperation. He says, if you meet anyone, do not greet them. If anyone greets you, do not answer him. This is an organized pell-mell. It's just, he's, just everybody rushing uh, to, and it's not right down the block. I mean, it's just 20 miles of of this fight of faith. I don't know what God is going to do. I can't dictate to him. But lay my staff on the face of the child, desperately wanting the child to be up and sitting in the bed by the time he got there. But uh, this time, God wanted his man there. He wanted the old prophet there. Verse 30, and the mother of the child said, as Yahweh lives, as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Again, um, this is what the prophet said to his teacher, Elijah. I'm not going to leave you. She's saying, I'm not going anywhere if you're not going. I'll stay right here. And So he's like, well, I can't have her live with me. Uh, <laughs> See, so, but she says, I'm not leaving without you. I think he didn't want to go. He didn't want to face this he wanted it to just work and that's not what was happening so he's going verse 31 now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child but there was no but there was neither voice nor hearing therefore he went back to meet him and told him saying the child is not awakened i'm sure when he saw gehazi coming he knew this wasn't going to be good news our attention for the moment shifts to gehazi no intrinsic power in the rod the rod was not uh, you know a shillelagh or something where it just is magically you know, it, it brings is not magical i don't think it's because gehazi was the problem yes he will stumble who doesn't uh, i think that this is not what god wa- how god wanted this to happen and maybe it will come out when we get to uh, what the prophet then does And so Gehazi, very active throughout the episode. Uh, Just a ruined potential, a warning to us all. Don't take for granted your God-appointed position. Uh, Verse 32, when Elijah came into the house, there was the child lying dead on the bed. Verse 33, he went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to Yahweh. So again, he closes the door. This is not something for people. It's a private matter. He had miles to prepare himself for this dreaded moment. And as I mentioned, this would be a faith fight. And Elijah, uh, his teacher, fought this fight before and won. That had to be playing in his mind. He's going to fight this fight also, verse 34, and win. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth to his mouth his eyes to his eyes his hands to his hands and stretched himself on the child and the flesh of the child became warm this is what is happening here i feel face to face breath to breath eye to eye hand to hand body to body this is this is skin in the game this is i am in this the prophet what is going through his head i think is now starting to just the faith is prevailing at this point because the progress there are indications of progress the, the body temperature coming back so the child was cold passion of the prophet is off the chart it's on a whole nother level only a holy man of god could get to this level i think that's what these lessons are not not to make us feel small you don't have that kind of faith you know when people say. Well, we don't have the faith like the apostles and, uh, and the Christians in the first church because we don't have faith. I, I don't. I don't buy that. Uh, I think there's some. There's always some elements of truth in it, but I think overall, is what is God doing? Well, God in our age is fighting the fight of faith through the Word, trusting what the Scripture says, and saying, "Can you believe without seeing?" Because that's what Jesus said, Thomas. Blessed are you, you see and you believe, but it is more blessed to believe without seeing. Uh, not, not, not leap in the dark, leap in the light based on the facts. It is a high honor uh, for the church and Christians today to believe in Scripture in the face of Satan's incessant attacks to get you to think the Bible doesn't work. If you think like that, you're going to be an apostate. If you think you're just using the Bible to get it to work and then when it doesn't work, you're going to be disillusioned and go do something else. Or you'll be diminished to, to the degree where you we all hope you do something else because you won't be doing what you're supposed to be doing well. Serious business is the Christian faith. Very serious. Being in church is serious business because it is not a vote out of hell that's going to get you into a Bible teaching church. Anyway, verse 35. And it's not good enough, I should add, to just listen online. Sorry to make you look down, look up, but it's not good enough. We are to assemble. We are to be where we can touch each other, unfortunately, and just in each other's lives, that is. Verse 35, he returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself on him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. So he's battling. He's battling. He 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 leaves the child in the room, he goes down, he paces back and forth. He's like, okay, I mean, it was progress, but this ain't over. It takes respiratory strength to sneeze seven times in succession. The healing was complete, the number seven. This is what the prophet wanted. He knew what this meant. Seven sneezes matched by seven thank yous to the Lord. 1 Kings Chapter 17, verse 22, this is Elijah. Then Yahweh heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. That's the fight of faith. What would happen if the child didn't revive? Would that give the right to stop believing Yahweh? Of course not. Uh, The prophet Haggai, uh, no, no, Habakkuk, Habakkuk ends his prophecy with a very challenging, I don't care if we we die of starvation. The Lord is still the Lord. That's how he pretty much sums it up. Well, as Jesus taught, only by faith can we gain the upper hand over malfunctions only by faith. Verse 36. We got time. Um, We got to finish this chapter. We've gotten past the the, the big stuff, but there are more malfunctions. Anyway, he called Gehazi, verse thirty-six, and said, "Call this Shulamite <laughs> woman." He's probably exhausted, so he called her, and when she came to into him, he said, "Pick up your son," verse forty-seven. I, th- I think it was just like that. I think it was anything else that that would have been remembered and recorded, but I do think he's ex- he's spent, verse thirty-seven. So she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Gratitude. Gratitude. First Thessalonians 5.18. Paul writes, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We kind of pass that part about for you. It singles us out. Gratitude. It's a big thing. How do you feel when you hold a door open for a stranger going into a store and they don't even say thank you? You hit them with the door. Oops, sorry. Anyway, I've never felt like that as an adult. I used to hang out in Chinatown as a kid. Man, they they just, they just had different customs. You hold the door open and nobody said thank you. That's how they were. I don't think they were trying to be rude. It's just a different world. Anyway, coming back to this, uh, this would be a nice trip back to... Carmel, Hebrews eleven thirty five. 35, women receive their dead raised to life again by faith of course. A happy ending to a horrific malfunction. Later, I said I'd come back to this, Elijah will announce to this woman, to this woman, a famine is coming for seven years. See, God gives him this gift of knowledge, prophecy. And you need to go somewhere else. And so she goes to be with the Philistines, Seven years later, she comes back to Jerusalem. The famine's gone, and and she goes to the king. Well, the king happens to be talking to who? Gehazi. He's a leper at this point. And the king says, Jehoram says, Tell me some things about Elijah. uh, Elisha. And he says, Well, i got to tell you this story. There was this woman, and she had this, she Elijah said, You're going to have a child. She has this child. And the child dies. I get there with the stick and I'm going through this and nothing. I go back to the prophet, nothing. You should saw the look on Elijah's face when I told him he's still dead and then he gets there and he goes and he's telling the king this as the woman shows up in the court and Gehazi says, there she is. That's her. That's the woman and the king says, well, what do you want? And remember, he said, you, Elijah had earlier said, do you want me to get to the king and get you something? She said, no, I'm fine with my people. Well, here we are. Years later, She's saying, they've they've taken my land, my house. And the king says, restore her land and give her the proceeds from all those years. Somebody's been working her farm. The death of the boy turned out to be a blessing in disguise. Powerful lesson from God. All that ends up being used to save her later on. The husband's probably dead by this time. Verse 38 And Elijah returned to Gilgal. That doesn't mean he left. uh, That's where he originated from. But he he makes these trips all over the place. Gilgal is one. And there was a famine in the land. Now the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said to his servant, put a large pot to boil stew for the sons of the prophets. All right. So this is a big deal, not a little deal. The guys are hungry. The prophet tells them to boil stew. I think the expectation is he's going to increase the food for the prophets. Verse 39. So one went out in the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it a lap full of wild gourds and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, though they did not know what they were. So one guy grabs these, but nobody knew what they were, and they were all fine with eating it. This is biblical to be a picky eater. Some well-meaning but unqualified blunderer in ministry. That's what we have here. Zeal without knowledge is not a joke, not a game. There are certain trades and jobs that if you fake it, you'll kill somebody else if you don't kill yourself too. There are many jobs like that. It's going to take a man of God to solve this poison problem. Of course, you have a picture of people bringing heresy into the church because they think, what could be wrong with this? I heard this guy on the radio. I love this guy. Yeah, well, let me tell you what he believes. Oh, come on. But I love him. He makes me feel so warm and fuzzy. He's a heretic. And you have no right defending him and getting upset at your pastor for pointing out the truth. And so this poison in the pot. And who put it in the pot? A well meaning son of the prophet. Prophets, that's who did it. I got a lot more to say. We have no time for this. Uh, I don't mean it like (laughs) impatiently speaking, but we're almost out of time. We've disarmed the kids, but they're still, you know, they're knee level. They can do damage. So we got to get this wrapped up here. Uh, Verse 40 this is a malfunction. Again. Then they served it to the men to eat. Now it happened, as they were eating the stew, they cried out and said, Man of God, there's death in the pot. And they could not eat it. Well, you know, they're, they're getting cramps. It's not just like, hey, you know what, there's death in the pot. This is something this is great. I'm getting sick in church. I mean, this is bad. Verse 41. So he said, then bring some flour. And glad he clarified, "Not, don't bring a, a flour. Well, oh, that's, that's English. Anyway, coming back. But he put it into the pot and said, Serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Well, this isn't magic. This is a man that has fought the war of faith. God has used him so much. This is desperate times in Israel. What was edible was the antidote for what was unedible. There's an antidote. There's an antidote for stupidity. There's an antidote for meaning well but doing bad. There are antidotes, truth over error, but you've got to stick with it. Fighting fire with water in this case. The prophet neutralized the poison, overcoming it, but it was God that did the whole thing. He could have threw, he could have put sawdust in the stew and it would have worked because God was the one doing it. He knew what he was doing because God was he was in touch. And so it's a miracle detoxed the stew. You could that would be a good item on the menu, detoxed stew. You can put some gourds in it. and yeah, Anyway, uh, I never knew what a gourd was until I got to boot camp. And they kept telling me to put a cat on my gourd. <laughs> Seriously, I didn't know what a gourd I Who knew a pumpkin was a gourd? Well, people from the South know these things because you got farms around and everything. Anyway, uh, coming back to this, there was nothing harmful in the pot. Uh, well, that which was from the harvest is defeated, has defeated that which was from the wild. Another lesson. The harvest is, is working the, the land under the curse in the midst of the malfunction and just going out picking things. You know, when he saw the bush, he probably said, praise the Lord. Look at all this fruit. And you know, this, this is how Christians are too, right? We Praise the Lord. For, and you say, hey, the story's not over yet. Stop it. Don't name it and claim it. I'll punch you out. Yeah, man. Anyway, verse forty-two, and uh, just another thing, I've got a second. Don't don't use that generational curse junk, please. If by that stupid logic, all of us are doomed. <laughs> it's just like, well, it's a generational curse. That's why I sin. Yeah, no kidding. Th- I hope it doesn't sound random, but we don't. I don't have time to color it in, but it's in here. Verse forty-two. Then a man of God from Baal Shalisha, uh, I'm not saying that name again. He brought bread and fir- the, the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. But his servant said, what shall I, uh, question more, what shall I set this before 100 men? He said again, give it to the people that they may eat. But thus says Yahweh, they shall eat and have some left over. Verse 44, so he said it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. So this man comes and he brings food to the man of God. The man came and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, verse 42. Elijah, I want to bless you. Well, Elijah says, a famine. I'm going to sit in here and eat and come out all fat and heavy and everybody else is gaunt. I mean, I'm, I can't do that. But there's not enough, the servant says. Elijah says, give it to the prophets. Well, there's not enough. That won't work. You have fist fights, or food fights. So the prophet, by faith, resolves the problem, the malfunction again, by the food being multiplied in abundance. After all, there was precedence for this. John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 9. There is a lad. This is uh, Philip, or uh, Andrew. There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? That's the same situation here. They had a lack, and they end up with an abundance. Well, we're out of time. If you really want more, um, you're going to have to negotiate that with the children's workers, I'm sure they take bribes. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, so many lessons in the Scripture. In fact, there's so many lessons, they're hard to remember when you need them sometimes. Unless, unless we get let your Word get inside of us like manna, the bread of life. We want your blessings, and we want to be a blessing. May you get us all home safely this evening. We ask you in Jesus' name, amen.